Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Overlooking beautiful Elk Mountain in Asheville, North Carolina, this is Matt Harrigan with the Adult Swim Podcast. I'm here with Adam Reed, who co-created Sea Lab 2021, Frisky Dingo, Archer, and High Noon Tunes. Here he is now. You get lots of animals up here? Yes, we do. A lot of bears, a lot of turkeys. And, of course, I got bitten in the chest by a copperhead. Yeah, so let's. why don't we start with that? Don't bury the lead. This is why we're here. It's like CNN. Uh, First of all, just let me say how beautiful and pastoral and I feel so rustic sitting up here in the high in the woods. We are in the woods. Amongst the evergreens. We are, yeah, evergreens and uh, uh, the other ones that aren't evergreen. Yeah. The deciduous hardwoods. So you live in uh, a rural part of Asheville? Is yes. that fair? Uh, yeah, Buncombe County. Buncombe? Yeah. Fun to say. Uh, that's where the word Buncombe comes from, is uh, Buncombe County. Because there was a uh, a senator or congressman, I guess a congressman, way back in the 1800s. And he would always stand up and shout, I must be heard on behalf of the people of Buncombe. And everybody hated him. So Buncombe became sort of shorthand for stupid shit nobody wanted to hear. Yeah. And then that got shortened to bunk and debunked. Debunked, yeah. Wow. It's all from, from Bunkum, which I think is named after some dude named Bunkum or some place in England. I don't know. So you come home, you drive home, you're in your garage. I'm in oh, I'm in my garage. <laughs> oh, is this the snake story? Yeah. So start just before <clears throat> the snake story starts. I was looking for a come along. What's that? It's sort of like a big ratchet strap with a crank for pulling large, heavy things from one place to another place. So I was looking for a come along. I'd been doing yard work all day. I was really dirty, wearing shorts, uh, Tevas, filthy T-shirt. And in the carport is a closet where the trash cans are uh, because we have to keep them in there because of the bears. Right. So... There's some shelves in there, and on the top shelf was a five-gallon bucket, and I thought, maybe it's in that bucket. That sort of rings a bell. So I reached up with both hands and uh, reached this bucket down past my naked eyeballs and looked in it. And right when I looked in it, a copperhead struck from inside the bucket and bit me basically on the right nipple. <laughs> And I dropped the bucket out from under him, and he was still hanging on my tit with his fangs, pumping. You were looking down at him? Yeah. Eye contact? (laughs) He wouldn't look me in the eye. (laughs) So uh, then he fell off onto the ground, and I staggered backwards and slammed the door. And I thought, uh, what? And then my next thought was, I got to take a picture of that to show the doctor because I'm already tingly. And I feel like I'm going to faint. You felt tingly. Yeah. All like, over. What do you mean? Like my whole body was tingling. And Unpleasant I don't know, tingling. Yeah. Not the good kind. 
Um, so I got my phone out and put it on camera and opened the door back up. And he was in there like coiled up and reared back and his tail was shaking. Um, so I thought it was like a baby rattlesnake with no rattles yet, but he was like, I don't know, two feet long. So he knew you were on the other side of that door. He was waiting and you were coming back in. How stupid are you? (laughs) So I bent down to take his picture and right then my phone rang, which changed it from camera to telephone. (laughs) And in the second and a half, it took me to switch it back to camera. He had slithered behind uh, like the trash cans. And I was like, I don't have time for this. I'm, I think I'm dying. Who was it? Oh, this is so stupid. I checked it later. It was a spam call offering me health insurance. <laughs> wow. So Cosmic joke. Yeah. So I drove from here to the hospital, which is normally a 35-minute drive. You drove, So you got in the car. You made the choice to – Filthy. I drove with my uh, hazards on, just honking the horn. I made it in like 14 minutes. I ran every light, every stop sign because I was like – I felt like I was going to pass out. And then I ran into the hospital, and I was like, hey, I just got bitten in the chest by a rattlesnake. And they were like, yeah, sit down. And I was like, I'm dying. You, ha- I, I'm not sitting down, and I just made a huge scene, and they admitted me. And then it turned out it wasn't a rattlesnake, uh, and the nurse had, in a previous career, been a veterinary herpetologist. So she was a snake that, vet. Oh, okay. And she was like, "Here's all the reasons why it probably wasn't a rattlesnake. Here's some pictures of rattlesnakes and copperheads." And I was like, "Okay, I take your word for it." So. It started to hurt really, really bad, and my tit swelled up like a uh, – I guess in French it's called a boule. It's like a traditional rustic loaf of bread. It's sort of round and crusty, um, and my tit was just huge. And I had called my parents. They weren't home. Lee wasn't home, so I texted my niece. Well, I called my niece, and she called me back, and I told her, you know, I'm in the hospital. got bitten by a rattlesnake. So she came to see me and I was like, hey, this pain is incredible. It's It was just stunning how bad it hurt. And I've been hurt in a lot of stupid ways, fairly, you know, broken bones and stuff like that. This was 10 times worse than anything. So they gave me fentanyl, which is amazing. I really like it. Yeah. Um, but I'd only ever heard about it on the news because it kills people just from looking at it Mm. so uh then my niece was in the er with me and i was just out of my gourd on fentanyl and she kept saying can i please video this and i was like (laughs) no because my right boob is hanging out like uh i'm afraid it's gonna split open and uh i was just super high anyway so i was like i think i need that anti-venom stuff and two separate doctors said, You're well, telling them that? Yeah. I was like, what's going on? Like, there's a thing, right? There's medicine. They said, yeah, we're pretty conservative with that. Why is that? Well, it's really expensive. And I was like, are you paying for it? Let's, you know, I have insurance. Who, who do you have? Whoever. And they're like, eh. And I was like, dude, give me the medicine. And they wouldn't. They drew a circle with a magic marker. And they were like, if the swelling goes past that, we'll give it to you. And it did, and then they just drew a bigger circle. And I was like, I was cussing at the doctors. Uh, I called one doctor a motherfucker. Yeah. And 
because he just mashed the bite with his thumb and it hurts so incredibly. Just the, the air conditioning vent in the ceiling blowing gently on it felt like acid. It was, and then it was like uh, getting kicked by a mule made out of bees. It's just insane. <laughs> so you have up to six hours to give the medicine. And so right at six hours, they were like, Ugh, okay. And they gave it to me. Wow. And it instantly started hurting less. I stayed overnight in the hospital and I had um, Oxycontin just all night, like yeah. whenever I wanted. To yeah. Oxycontin. Um, and so I just ate Oxycontin all night and couldn't sleep because it still hurt pretty bad. And then the next day, the nurse who was checking me out was like, so I peeked at your bill. And I was like, yeah, they said that snake medicine was really expensive. She said, honey, just that medicine they gave you was $57,000. But um, they did, uh, when they were putting all the uh, like little sensors on me, uh, one of the nurses goes, hey, not to alarm you, don't freak out, but you're super close to having a heart attack right now. <laughs> and I was like, what? Glad you and told she, me. <clears throat> and she was like, your blood pressure is like 240 over 140. And I was like, that's not good. So you're going to want to bring that down. Wow. And I was like, how do I do, how do I do that? Give me some coping mechanisms. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah. $57,000. Yeah. For four vials of anti-venom which yeah. i read costs 14 dollars a dose to make wow and in mexico you can buy it for 100 bucks so it would have been cheaper to fly to mexico but i didn't have a lot of time so why did you come up here uh well to, mainly to be closer to my folks yeah. who still live here and i grew up here um and it's a lovely place to live you don't need to be in atlanta no no, I, I was very lucky and am very lucky to have Matt Thompson running everything. And uh, I can just sit up here in my bathrobe and write, or I could before I quit doing even that. Can you not do anything now? Are you incapacitated? No, I, I just uh, I just burn out. So you've worked almost exclusively in animation for your professional life. Yeah, except for uh, my brief time with the live-action Carrot Top show. Oh, yeah. That I don't even know if it ever aired. Wow, it's in the vault? I, 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 don't, I don't remember it airing necessarily, but that was all right when uh, I quit and then Matt quit the next day. Like This is like 1996. Yeah. And... Uh, I was like, hey, so I'm more than happy to uh, stay and train my replacement, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And went back to my cubicle and looked up and there was an enormous security guard with a, you know, one of those post office boxes. And he's like, you have seven minutes to get all your <laughs> shit and get out of here. When I, I think I might have met you in maybe around 1994, four, five, four, four or five. Yeah. I remember uh, one of the very first things you said to me, I don't think we had ever had a conversation, but we had met and I was like, hey, Matt, how's it going? And you went, I'm really getting into smoothies. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and just walked off. And I didn't know if you really were into smoothies or wow. if you were just kind of fucking with me. No recollection of that whatsoever. Did you start before me or after me? I don't know. I started there, I think, in 94. And I was only there for two years, which at the time seemed like, you know, gold watch. Yeah, like like that was the record. Yeah. Um, that beat my record for, like, my longest job previously was 22 months at Chili's. <laughs> did you notice when you hit 22 months, did you feel like you were at a crossroads at Cartoon Network? Well... Oh, oh, yeah. Well, they kept wanting Matt and me to sign uh, contracts. Yeah. But there was no financial incentive. Or we're like, what? So is there a raise? No, no. It's the same money, but you can't quit. And I was like, no. What's in no, it for thank me? you. How did you get a job at Cartoon Network? My So after college, I went to live in France. And I worked like construction, bartending. So... I ran out of money and had to leave. Um, and I could have flown home from, I went to see some friends in London and I could fly to America for 99 pounds to either Miami or Atlanta. And my sister lived in Atlanta and worked at uh, Turner Home Entertainment down at CNN Center. And I was like, well, I'll fly to Atlanta and make Anna drive me back home to Asheville. So, I had a beard, I had a big backpack, ripped up jeans, like total, you know, it's like 1993, the height of grunge and, uh, you know, flannel shirt tied around my waist and drunk on the flight because it was free Bailey's the whole way. And I walked in her office and everybody's wearing suits and ties and dresses. And she was like, okay, let's get you out of the lobby, big guy. (laughs) And right then her boss walked by and was like, who is this person? It's my brother. And the next words out of his mouth were, do you want a job? What? And I was like, yeah. Well, no, I didn't say yeah. I said doing what? Because I thought he meant like <laughs> mowing his lawn or whatever because I had done all these odd jobs. You know, like I need you to come kill a pig for me. <clears throat> so my sister, God bless her, she had like tried for two years to get a job at Turner It interned and everything. And, uh, I show up drunk and disheveled and get offered a job. It turned out to be a terrible job, paid four bucks an hour, 20 hours a week. And I moved to Atlanta and lived in a boarding house basically for late stage alcoholics. Wow. That's a very shared bathroom. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, my rent was $80 a week. So I made food money by sort of fudging my uh, mileage and parking receipts. (laughs) But one of my first jobs there, I was sort of like a utility intern. And there was a guy named Bubba who worked in marketing. And he was like, all right, starting Monday, I got something for you to do. And you're going to be in that cube right there. And it was just like an empty cube with a phone in it. And I walked in on Monday, and there was now a TV, a VCR, and those post office boxes heaped with black clamshell VHS tapes of the Flintstones. And he said, so here's a clipboard. You know, here's how to run this VCR. There's These are time-coded. I want you to watch and log every time you see a dinosaur. <laughs> Uh, huh? <laughs> so, yeah, just, you know, every time you see a dinosaur, pause the tape, write down the time code on this log sheet. Did you have questions for him? I did. 
number one being, as you know, he's like, you good? And I was like, yeah, I got it. And he's walking away. I'm like, uh, hey, Bubba, <laughs> why am I doing this? And he goes, well, I, I got this deal that I'm trying to set up with uh, Little Debbie and one of our properties. So if you buy like two boxes of Little Debbies and send in the box tops, we will send you a Flintstones VHS. But Little Debbie is owned by Seventh-day Adventists, and they don't believe in dinosaurs. So we got to edit out the dinosaurs. So what you're really looking for, the the pot of gold here is an episode with no dinosaurs. And I was like, and the Flintstones. I was like, I'll just tell you right now, that doesn't exist because the opening is like all dinosaurs. Fred drives one at work. There's dinosaurs. Yeah. He's like, well, f- the fewest because we don't want to, you know, spend a whole lot of time editing this thing. And I was like, and he's like, so just get after it. And he walked him. And I was like, oh, get after it. Uh, also, Dino is a dinosaur. <laughs> So he's like, just figure it out. So he walks away again. I was like, oh, uh, Bubba. And he's like, you're talking yourself out of a job here. I said, well, why not the Jetsons? And he goes, don't even get me started with the fucking Jetsons of these people. (laughs) So I watched all 164 episodes of the Flintstones. And because I had to stop the tape and log it, and because I was hourly, it took like a month. And I really, you know, like I was rewatching a couple episodes and it's a pretty amazing show. Um, And there's some uh, what I was most struck by is Fred's casual cruelty. (laughs) (laughs) And how cruel to Barney and especially when uh, disrespectful when Pebbles came along, there's an episode where it's called Wish Upon a Star. Um. Betty and Barney are just infatuated with Pebbles and they're always wanting to come hang out with Pebbles. And finally, Fred, you know, he's grumbling like, oh, the rebels are always over here. And Wilma's like, don't be a dick. And finally, they come (laughs) over and like Betty's got something for Pebbles. And he's like, he screams at her, like slams open the front door and points outside. And he goes, get out of my house. Go have your own baby. (laughs) And here's the thing. Betty can't have fucking babies. So she just balls. She uh, infertile. Yeah, yeah. Is Baron that, that in the show. <laughs> um, and so she and Barney, like she's just sobbing her guts out, and she and Barney see a falling star and make a wish. And in the morning, Bam Bam is on their porch. He's a foundling. Oh no shit. Yeah. So I had an encyclopedic knowledge, and clearly still do of the Flintstones. Yeah, wow. Um, and then somebody. Well, Turner Home Entertainment made a new content, new animation, Flintstones home video called Wacky Inventions. And because I knew all about the Flintstones, uh, I started working with a guy named Rick Dasher, who's still at Turner uh, in the promo shop, I think. Um, And we worked together and made this home video and like recorded the actual Flintstone voice people and got the original music from like the Hanna-Barbera warehouse, like the old two-inch Ampex masters yep. of these jazz musicians. And they were amazing. Like these were guys that were out playing in the clubs in L.A. at night and then in the morning. And you could hear them hacking up reefer smoke. Uh, and there's all this great studio chatter. And then it'd be like, all right, Fred's driving in his car in three, two. And then like just jazz. Jam. <clears throat> so 
it was really a cool experience. And from that, to answer your question from 20 minutes ago, that's how I got the job at Cartoon Network because, well, it's the internal job posting thing, but also I had suddenly a, a solid background in Hanna-Barbera animation. Wow. A full month of intensive Flintstones. Immersion Flintstoning. You like that cartoon? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they got sued. Hanna-Barbera got sued by Jackie Gleason, and Jackie Gleason won. Because it's the honeymooners. For, just for ripping off his character or the whole show? The whole show. I think they might have settled out of court, but... They won? Jackie Gleason won. Jackie Gleason won. Yeah. Oh, shit. So basically, my jo- my sister got me a job in television. How did you meet Matt? I met Matt, uh, like, day one uh, at Cartoon Network. I walked in. I was a PA, and I was, like, setting up my, you know my cube, putting my red stapler out and everything. And Matt walked up. He's like, hey, get your shit. We're getting out of here. Go into a bar. <clears throat> Fuck all that. You don't have to do that. Let's go. I was like, this is great. <laughs> and he was a AP. Yeah. I guess. So that was like one step above. And so we went to lunch, I think at Taco Mac, and drank beer. And he told me like, you know, here's who knows what they're doing. Here's who certainly doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, here's how to get around this. Don't ever do what this person tells you, but you have to do what this person tells you. Um, and then that was also right about the time Stephen Krankota had only been there like a couple of months. Um, and he offered me the job in his office. And I said, this sounds like an amazing opportunity. I need to think about it <sighs> and left. Like, thank you so much because you know, I was like, do I want to go live in France again? Or, you know, what do I want to do? Do I want to follow the Grateful Dead around? People do that. Yeah. Um, and th- I found out later, like, he almost rescinded the job offer because nobody had ever said, I need to think about it. Everybody was, you know, dying to work there. So he almost said, fuck you. Yeah. You're uninvited. What? So, uh, but luckily he didn't because um, he was hands down the best boss I've ever had. Wow. Just, he was amazing. Still is amazing. Uh, anyway, so soon after, I hadn't been there long, a couple of months, and Matt had to pitch interstitials for the, like, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. block where the audience was from two to five years old. And it was, like, on a Friday at the staff meeting at 10 in the morning, and Matt got there at, like, 9.59, and I was like... What's your what's your big pitch? And he was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> that's today." And I was like, "Yeah, dude, it's in one minute." And he's like, "Okay, all right, all right, I got some." So he went in there, and Steve was like, "All right, everybody, turn your attention to Matt, who's going to wow us." And he, Matt goes, "Hey, this is my talking hand, the cowboy Hoss, and uh, <clears throat> over there's my sidekick, Little Joe," and points to me, and I was like, "Yep, howdy, folks." And that became Haas and Little Joe, and we did that for like a year and a half. Wow! So that was that was also live action. So my two live action things were Carrot Top, Talking Hand Puppets, High Noon Tunes, High Noon Tunes, Haas and Little Joe, Haas and Little. Do you Joe. think he made that up on the spot? Yes, he absolutely did. He did. And then after like in year two, we convinced Stephen to let us go to Europe and film Haas and Little Joe at touristic sites all over England and the continent. 
Where was we could have to further the, the <clears throat> franchise, or yeah, we it was a vac. It was like a working vacation. We're like, if you, we'll take our vacation for three weeks, and you'll subsidize it, and we'll film a bunch of high noon tunes, you know, in front of the Eiffel Tower wow, and everything. Three weeks. Yeah, it was great. How did you talk him into that? He loved us. He loved us, but everybody else was super pissed. That's how I found out about office politics yeah. and jealousy. And, what did people say about you? Um, <clears throat> one person whom I won't name said that Matt and I said something terrible about Stephen, which he talked to us about, and everybody left his office crying because it was such a terrible thing, and I know who did it, and I don't know what that person is up to these days, but I hope they have itchy feet or something. Wow. Yeah. So that was lame. But then <clears throat> the Carrot Top thing was a nightmare. And then I just, we wanted to make C-Lab. And we had done a pilot for C-Lab just like in an edit bay somewhere. We're like, we really want to do this. We think it could be good. And then they were like, yeah, after two more cycles of Carrot Top, you can do whatever you want. And we were like, oh. And I was like, Matt, that's like two more years or 28 months. That's crazy. We'll be dead. Yeah. We'll be old men by then. So so I quit, and then Matt quit the next day. So why were the people jealous of you, do you think? Because Other, other than he <clears> liked you. Because well, you guys had uh, found each other? And we got raises and yeah. promoted over uh-huh. people that had been there longer. And that was everyone notices. Yeah. And yeah. then you're in meetings with the boss. And then we actually – they set up like a small – production label called Butterbean that was just me and Matt and it was like an in-house sort of skunkworks thing. Wow. Um what's the point of that do you think? I don't know. To keep us there? Cuz I don't know. Um but all it did was piss everybody else off. They'd be like what the fuck is Butterbean? Yeah, and we're like we're just not in the office. Like we're at home writing and uh-huh. everybody else is you know working hard at work and we're not. And looking back, I can totally see like, oh, we're like suddenly the coach's kids that everybody (laughs) hates. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Wow. People were pissed. Yeah. Did you feel like you had to do Carrot Top because they told you to? They told us to. They Uh said, you're doing this. And then he was really nice, but his manager was not a good person is the nicest way I can say that. Did you know Carrot Top before you got involved? No. Um but he was really nice. We went to his house down in Florida, and he came to Atlanta, and we hung out a good bit. Um, he was nice. His manager was just awful. And how was he awful? In every way. Every way. Like an unfunny person approving your jokes. And we had one bit that I wrote about a Ouija board that I can't remember, but we we're like, you know, going through this three ring binder of interstitial stuff. And he was like, uh no no on the Ouija board. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's like it's like there were like ten interstitial bits about the Ouija board. It was a whole narrative about the Unfolding. Ouija board. Uh-huh. And he's like, No, we're not doing it. Ouija boards are no good. I was like, What are you talking about? And he goes, Listen, I've had a bad experience with a Ouija board. And more importantly, my family has had a bad experience with a Ouija board. <laughs> and I started dying laughing, and it turned out he wasn't kidding at all. He what was happened? dead serious. I don't know. He never told us. He just had a bad experience. And I didn't know if it was like a splinter or. <laughs> so, yeah. Holy shit. Super weird. So, 
we sort of quit over the carrot top thing and moved to New York. But before we left, we stole the master tapes of C Lab 2020, like the original two inch wow. masters. You stole them. Stole them. All of them. Yeah. Took like, all, all. So they couldn't air it. Well, I mean, they had copies, right. but they had probably betas of it, but it wasn't on anyway. But we stole the actual masters and. Well, no, maybe we stole the betas and the VHSs wow. too. You cleaned that, cleaned out yeah. the house, <laughs> and it was like I knew I was going to quit. And I was like, before yeah. this happens, we need to go in the tape library and steal wow. those tapes. We need to commit a felony, and so you stole a show, yeah, a whole TV show. You stole a TV show from Cartoon Network, and then we moved to New York, and Matt got us all these jobs. Like we worked on a talk show for a while, a daytime talk show, and then we were doing. Um, all this freelance work for like Showtime and places like that. And we were doing great. And Showtime was like this cash cow and we were making more money than we ever thought possible and pissing people off. Uh, turns out. But then the boss there, Matt went on a shoot with her to Vancouver and they rented a snowmobile, and Matt has never told me exactly what happened that led up to her breaking both of her femurs on the, the snowmobile. And Matt, still, it's been 20 years, and Matt won't tell me what happened. What? So he broke this lady's femurs, and he called, and he was like, uh, this person is in the hospital with broken femurs and snowmobile, and uh, I'm never going to tell you what happened. But uh, the upshot is we don't have jobs anymore. <laughs> so she fired him it's on like the spot. Weekend of Yeah, she fired him on the spot, but wouldn't let him, him leave Vancouver from the hospital bed. He had to stay by her side for like ten days and then bring her home. She was in a fucking wheelchair because both of her femurs were shattered um, for you know months. So he had to, you know, bring her home, but instantly we had no work, but we had this big loft apartment and it was also an office. So we had our edit stuff. So we edited together another shorter, like a seven minute pilot for C-Lab yeah. and sent it to Lazo unsolicited. And so it, from the tapes that you took, well, no, we just sent him a, a VHS. I mean, Oh yeah, you cut it together we, from the cut it, yeah took. from the stolen masters, um, and then we didn't hear back. And I was getting ready to go to Europe and possibly just move to Europe. And I was literally walking out the door with the suitcase and the phones ringing. And I'm like, uh, "This is before cell phones, really." And then I'm like, "You're uh, walking out the door, yeah, to so go to Europe and maybe move there." And it's Lazo. And I'm like, "Hey, what's up?" He's like, "Hey, man, we love Sea Lab. We want to put it over doing this thing called Adult Swim." Let's do it. Make a TV show. And I was like, great. I'm going to Europe. I'll be back in three weeks. Great. Call me. And then that was that. How long was the phone call? Less than a minute. So when you hung up, did you put your bag down? What'd no, do? I, I was like, there was a cab waiting. Like <laughs> I had to be at the airport. So I just went to Europe and I didn't really think about it again because I was, you know, doing other things. When was that? 98? Wow. 99? That must have been amazing. Yeah. And then we spent like a year. The first contract we got from Cartoon Network, the first page basically said, you have used an unauthorized Turner property 
And unless you sign this contract, we're going to sue you. And I was like, that doesn't seem great. <laughs> and it took like a, a literally a year to get that worked out. So, and then it premiered. And then two days later, 9-11 happened. Oh, wow. Remember that? Yeah. Remember 9-11? I do. <laughs> so it premiered on 9-9? Yeah. It was like Sunday night, or maybe it was the next week. Maybe it was 9-2. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it was September 2nd, but it was... National events pushed it to the back burner. Um, Yeah. So that was weird. So you cut the first episode of C-Lab. It premiered, and it felt like the logical next step from Space Ghost? Yeah. I mean, like, it basically... uh, I think owed, uh, if not everything, at least a whole bunch to Space Ghost and the idea of repurposing that old kick-ass animation. Did you like C-Lab the way that you liked the Flintstones? The original? The original 2020. Unwatchable. Uh, Have you ever seen it? Uh, I've seen some of it. (laughs) Ooh. Like, those episodes are like a full 30 minutes long. They predate commercials. And... It Are is, they really? I didn't know that. No, they might be like 26. Yeah. But it is the most, I can't even think of the right word, like solemn. It is a solemn cartoon, and it's like, oh, there's an oil spill. Let's drive over there and see it. And they would drive in real time. You know, it's like <laughs> seven minutes to get to the oil spill, and oh, we forgot that we got to go back to get the thing that we need. Why did you pick that? I can't remember. Um, one that I wanted to do, uh, oh my God, what was the name of it? Like, after C-Lab, I thought we would just start a whole uh, empire of, you know, repurposed, revoiced animation. And there was a cartoon, oh my God, do you have the Google? Sure do. Um, what you need? It was about a daredevil. It was called like McLaughlin or something. <laughs> But that's not right. A Daredevil Hanna-Barbera cartoon, and they drove around the country doing Daredevil stuff. And I wanted to do a cartoon about that, but make it like a real dark thing where he was a heroin Devlin. addict. Devlin! <laughs> yeah, where he was a heroin addict. And they were just like living out of this, you know, van, driving around, and he'd, you know, have a straightener and go ride his motorcycle. And then Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I thought would be a great one where they, you know, they they were a rock band, but they also solved crimes. And they had their own jet. Um, Yeah, so I just wanted to do a million of them, but uh, uh, America didn't want us to do that. Devlin sounds really funny. I I think Devlin could be great. And, you know, he's too late for Devlin. I don't know. I don't think so. I think with the, you know the opioid crisis, Devlin is really timely. <laughs> Could really capitalize on. But like he's got, you know, they travel around and like I think it's a semi that they live in also, and he's got like the hot girl that goes with him. There might be a monkey or a dog, maybe a dog, and then he's got the big oafish mechanic and you know pit boss. And that sounds then, amazing. I think they solve crimes, too. Like, he's a daredevil who solves crimes. I think there was way more crime back then. <laughs> and we found out it was canceled. We were in a marketing meeting, 
looking at the artwork for the season four DVD and I forget what the deal was, but um, the marketing lady was like, yeah. And you know, since this is the last one, this will be a nice bookend. And we're like, <laughs> huh? Bookend. Oh, has Mike not talked to you? And we're like, no, is the show canceled? Well, this has been really productive. I guess you need to catch up with Mike and blah, 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 blah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bit of a gut punch. 52 episodes. How long did that take to make? Four years. So you were surprised at the reaction? Of the show? Of the show when it first took off. Were you surprised? Yeah, but I think also, like, I can't watch it now. Like, I every once in a while, I will go back and watch a couple of episodes of Frisky Dingo. It really makes me laugh. My girlfriend really likes it. C-Lab is like reading my high school diary. It's just like, I, I just can't do it. Um, you think it's not funny? I think it sometimes is too weird. Like, my favorite episode of it is the one where it's just an exterior still shot of the C-Lab for the whole 11 minutes, and you just hear everybody talking. It's like a radio play, and I can't believe Mike let us put it on television because it only costs like $600 to make. <laughs> uh doesn't seem like me you know when i watch it now it just seems like who 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 was it that wrote that what person was i when i was doing that at the time i thought it was the best thing in the world uh but it's tough to watch now part of it is uh you know it's pretty low budget yeah i mean you did a whole episode with one shot did you mine the entire catalog (laughs) of animation did you take it all yeah yeah, and then we did a bunch of new stuff. Like it wasn't just clips cut together. Like we actually cut out the characters, and you can absolutely tell when they come, you know, puppet sticking into frame. <laughs> yeah, that's noticeable. Yeah, did absolutely. You, did noticeable. you meet anybody from the original show? No, but I did hear that Toth fucking hated it, and he hated <laughs> see, uh Space Ghost. Yeah, I've heard that too. Uh, and I don't, you know, I guess I get it, but also. Nobody was watching it before, dude. <laughs> like you breathe new life into it. Yeah. I wonder if somebody will repurpose Archer someday. That would be crazy and make it a solemn environmental. And then C-Lab went away. You got canceled. Got canceled. And then. Uh, and you feel like quitting and just going away? <clears throat> moving to Europe. Yeah. Uh, but Pack then Mike was like, hey, you know, we like you guys. Pitch us another show. And. We came up with a pitch about uh, basically the Exticles. It was like Space Marines. And then uh, Mike had feedback, basically, and the feedback was just have one guy and throw a supervillain in there. I think, yeah, Mike actually might have done a lot of the heavy lifting on creating <laughs> that show that I, now that I think about it. So, and then it like literally half an hour of just riffing in the office and they were like all right what about this he was developing the show you think more well he like more I, so than c lab or i think um c lab was always like make it weirder and mike's thing that he said to us over and over through the years and i guess i worked there for six or seven years probably yeah like four seasons of c lab and two seasons of frisky dingo plus the development of same And he always said, show me something that I've never seen before, which with Mike was super hard because he's such a voracious consumer of 
content. You know, yeah. like he would know the most obscure Japanese, you know, you have to have a PAL monitor to play these DVDs and he knows all about it. Books. I mean, he's like a, a, a polymath, if that's the right word, of, you know, pop culture and uh, entertainment and literature. It's pretty crazy. Like, he's got a bunch of knowledge in that head. And it was hard to surprise him. And you would do, like, like the original C-Lab pilot we sent in wasn't that great. But then I had this uh, uh, Tom Jobim and um, uh, Astrid Gilberto song called Aguas de Marzo. And we just cut Debbie and Marco singing that song together. It's a little duet back and forth. And it was on like 90 seconds after the credits, after, you know, a minute and a half of black, here comes the song. And he said later, he was like, that's what sold me on it. It wasn't your terrible and unfunny pilot. It was, <laughs> it was this bizarre Brazilian jazz duet. No shit. How did that come about? I, I sort of bullied Matt into putting it on there. And it was going to be the credits, and Matt was like, this is ridiculous and stupid and horrible. And so we argued over how long after the credits it had to be, and Matt was like, put it 40 minutes. We'll get a, we'll get an hour-long tape, and you just bury this thing at the end. <clears throat> and I wanted it to go, you know, like, right then. So we settled on a minute and a half. Yeah, and then I think, like, just forgot to turn the TV off, uh -huh. like, and then it just came on. And then we used, because it was a pilot, we could use all this free music. Well, not free music, you know, real music. And uh, for the credits, we used a song by this woman named Garrison Starr, who I don't know whatever became of her, but her music was great. And the, the theme song was by a band that I knew in college called Queen Sarah Saturday. And we just used one of their songs for my final episode of Archer, the the montage at the end of the season, like the last one that I wrote, was one of their songs. So that was a nice bookend. So the last things you did for the network, Frisky Dingo, Exticles. Yeah, Matt did the Exticles. I was already gone. I you went, weren't involved. No, I went and uh, walked across Spain. Yeah, you do a lot of walking. Yeah, I like to walk. So you, after uh, Frisky Dingo, you went to Spain. Yes, and always flying off to Europe. Did yeah, it's my where I go run away and sulk, lick my wounds. Is that what it feels like? Do you feel like you're getting out of town? Yeah. Yeah. Um and you know, pretending that whatever heartbreak or heartache or canceled T V show didn't happen. Was it heartbreaking for C Lab <laughs> to go away and then Frisky Dingo? No. Um but Mike took Matt and me to lunch after the second season of Frisky Dingo. And he was like, so, hey, we were waiting to see if we were going to get renewed. And at the time, I think there were maybe six guys working in a house in East Atlanta. Um, but, you know, six people with health insurance and some with mortgages. And we didn't know, which is very unsettling. Yeah. So Mike said, uh, listen, we don't know if we're going to renew the show or not. We're going to wait and see. I think I think maybe the criterion was what the DVD sales are going to be. But he's like, we're going to wait and see, and we're not going to know for like six months. And 
I didn't talk to Matt about this beforehand, but I just blurted out, hey, let's don't do that and just not do this show anymore. How about that? And he was like, okay. And that was that. That was that. Um, Because, you know, I always got the sense that that Mike wasn't crazy about Frisky Dingo. Like, I don't know if he put it on because C-Lab had done well. Mm Mm-hmm. But I just never felt that he liked it. You feel like he tolerated it? Yes. That's a good good verb. Tolerated it. Huh. Um, what was the difference between that and C-Lab and your experiences with him? I don't a lot. Well, a lot of C-Lab. I don't know. We were constantly, not constantly, but often. He would say, you know, I got to... Other people from Adult Swim are going to come tell you what you should be doing, how to make this better, help you with your scripts, help you with your editing, blah, 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 which rankled the fuck out of me. Um, But, you know, we tolerated it because it's not like we're going to build our own TV satellite yet. Yet. Yeah, we're not going to do that. I don't know. I wouldn't know where to start, Matt. So you didn't the you got notes. Yeah, tons of notes. Tons of notes. Um, And, yeah, it was just, uh, and a lot of of them were good, but, uh, I don't know, it was was tough. It was a stressful, stressful environment for me, at least. Was it different from C-Lab? It was not fun. It was a continuation of that, I think. And I think maybe, you know... Certainly me, maybe both Matt and I, like growing from a kid to a sullen teenager. And it's like, dude, I already did one show. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Let me just get out of my way. Let me do it. Um. So, yeah. So I, I wasn't really sad when Frisky Dingo ended. Although I did for like a year afterwards um, have... You know, because like when you're writing a show, those characters are constantly in your head talking, whether you want them to be or not. Right. And for about a year, I had Killface and Xander Cruz, you know, scenes would sort of write themselves in my head, but there was no reason to write them down. Were C-Lab characters coming back? No. (laughs) No. Um, Why do you think that got canceled? I don't know. I guess people quit watching. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember... um, this I showed my parents the C Lab pilot. Well, or the first episode, and turned to them and said, "What do you think?" And they were both silent. And then my mom looked at me and said, "We just want you to be happy." <laughs> so you're instantly <clears throat> unhappy. <laughs> yeah, and they, um, you know, not huge fans of Archer. No. Uh, my dad, uh, without my knowledge, bought the Archer book that I wrote, which is crazy dirty. <laughs> Did you not tell him it existed? I just, I was like, yeah, I wrote a book, you know, whatever. Not a big deal. Um, and then he bought it, I guess, off of Amazon. And my mom <laughs> called me. She goes, Bill bought the book. And I was like, what book? The Archer book. And I was like, no. <laughs> And she goes, Adam, because they're raising my niece who was like, you know, 
11 years old at the time, he tore it up and threw it away because he didn't ever want Grace to find it. Adam, it's disgusting. And I was like, yeah, I know. Call me before you buy anything <laughs> online. Certainly anything that I've helped create. <clears throat> Don't wow. go buying books. Telling his friends, my son wrote a book. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> we used him as a model on Frisky Dingo because uh, we used real people and took photographs of him. And he was uh, a character called Stan Grossman, and he was super stoked. And he told all his buddies he was going to be on the cartoon. And mom was like, how are you going to record him? And then we we're like, oh, no, no, he's just going to be we're just using his face. <clears throat> so he told all his buddies to watch. And that first episode, Stan Grossman was like naked except for a beer can on his dick <laughs> tied around with a extension cord while Xander Cruz is flicking yogurt on him. And uh, yeah, he wasn't stoked about that. So you walked this Spanish Camino. road. What was it? Was yeah, it the road. Path? <clears throat> uh, it varies. Sometimes it's a road. Sometimes it's a path. Uh, instead of the uh, Appalachian Trail, you went to Spain. Yeah, Spain. And that took uh, about six weeks of walking. Then I went to Africa and North Africa. And then my agents called and were like, hey – like they got in touch with Matt and me right before Frisky Dingo ended and said, we want, we like Frisky Dingo and we want to represent you. And we we're like, cool. And then it got canceled. And I said, you know, I'm running away from home and they I'd been gone a couple of months and they called and said, uh, so listen, this whole client agent thing really exists only for you to sell TV shows and make us money, which you're not doing in Africa. So I had come up with a couple of ideas on the walk, none of which they liked. Do you remember them? Yeah. One was a kid's book. Another one was uh, set in the 1700s about two highwaymen, which I later did a pilot for uh, FX4 that they hated. And <laughs> that was it. And so I gave them those two things. and They were like, Okay, A, we're not book agents, we're TV agents, <laughs> and B, nobody wants a cartoon about 1700s British Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> what else you got? And I was like, oh, those are the only two things. That's you don't it. have anything else. And I was like, no, nothing. Come on. And I was like, uh, all right, what if Xander Cruz was James Bond? That's it, what you said right there? Yeah. And they were like, great, we can sell that. Get your shit together and come home and write a pitch document. We'll go pitch it. Wow. Um, and then I was like, ooh. And then I had a Ford Taurus that I sold for $900. And I used that $900 to pay Neil Holman and maybe one other person. A couple of the uh, the 7030 guys to do a sheet of artwork for Archer, which was going to be called Duchess. And uh, it was the same style as now, only they used real actors. Like Archer had Clive Owen's head, and I think Lana was Kim Kardashian. Uh, Anne Bancroft was Mallory, but they did it in the Archer style. 
and next to a uh, like a '69 Plymouth GTX, the James Bond car. Yeah, and it said Duchess on it, big letters. And then not too far down the road, like they FX bought it. A couple of networks bought it, um, but FX, uh, my agents were like, "This is a good channel, and they're gonna. They don't make a million pilots." They make a few pilots, and they're going to stick with this, which turned out to be great because it did terribly. It was awful. Um, it was up against Jersey Shore oh, yeah. and just got great show. murdered every week. Did you pitch it in the room to FX? Yeah. And you pitched it? Yeah. No, just me. Um, were you nervous going in? What? Or were you, fuck you, I give pitched, a fuck? No, Spain, I pitched it to confident. 10 networks over three days or two days. And every morning, I was staying at Scott Leip's house, and I would get up and take a shower and put on my pitch clothes. What did you decide to wear? Uh, I think a flannel shirt and a backpack. But I would have a Xanax and a beer for breakfast. Wow. And then get in my agent's car, and he'd drive me around, and I'd go pitch it. And some networks, like... uh. One network in particular, the dude was just texting on his phone the whole time I was talking. And at one point, I stopped and looked at my agent, and he just gave me the keep going thing. And he's like, it's good practice. So <laughs> a couple of networks bought it, and then they told me to go with FX, and I did. And pretty soon, there were a lot of like uh, getting-to-know-you pains. And uh -huh. I had come from Adult Swim, where it was always like, Surprise me, yeah. make it weird. And so the first, like, I think I wrote something crazy, like 31 pilot scripts. Yeah. Like for not just, not just tweaks, but like, oh, here's a whole new direction. And they kept wanting it to be more grounded in reality and less, you know, crazy. And then at some point, um, so Archer's mom's dog's name was Duchess, and I was dead set on the name of the show being Duchess. And uh, John Langraf called, and he was like, so, hey, I know you're really uh, set on this show being called Duchess. And I was like, yeah, it's like non-negotiable. And he's like, well, you say that. It's not going to be called Duchess. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Instant chaos. I was like, oh. Yeah, you know, and I can totally see that. Uh, why would you call it that? That's a terrible name. Ah, terrible. So, um, was it really the inst instant cave? Yeah, yeah. How do you not? Yeah, he is. Um, that is one smart dude. Yeah, and uh, he um, just like having a conversation with him. Uh, was always like a little intimidating, but also very enlightening. And like, like you eat lunch and you, you learn a whole bunch of stuff you didn't know before lunch, which is rare. Yeah. Like I, I rarely learn things while I'm eating lunch. Uh, but yeah, just also nice and smart. And everybody there, I always would say like the only thing worse than getting bad notes is getting good notes. Because there's no arguing with them, and you realize instantly, like, oh, yeah, they're totally right. But then you have to go rewrite the script. 
so that it right. works. Um, it's annoying. Yeah, it's a, totally annoying and like humbling, <laughs> you know? So this is a new world. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was a, um, a great, you know, like a life changing experience. And as my agent says, uh, he calls it the parenthetical. And he was like, whenever, when you die, people are going to go Adam Reed parentheses Archer. And that's going to be what people knew you for. Yeah. And that's it for you. And I was like, what if I come up with something better than Archer? He's like, you're not that you're done. Is that what he said? You got nothing left in you. Really? Yeah. There's no gas in the tank. Um, Why do you think he says that? He doesn't. He doesn't really like me. (laughs) He doesn't care for me at all. Um, Surely, I mean, lots of major creators have lots of chapters, mm -hmm. right? But I think I'm going to have to. uh, Like, I literally have not a single idea in my head, and I don't know. If I ever will. Do you need an idea or are you just naturally funny? And uh, you can establish a model for others to follow. Devlin. Like I could executive produce Devlin and be like, guys, here's what you're doing. He's a heroin addict. He lives in this truck. He's a daredevil. Go. Okay. I could probably do that. I can uh I can accept that as a – I can off, make you an offer on behalf of Adult Swim right <laughs> is now. Is that what this is we'll all about? That. This is an elaborate Is Is offer. there like a guy going to come out with a big cardboard well, yeah. check? You know, I've, I've met all these showrunners uh, over the course of Archer at like Comic-Con or whatever. And there are some of them, like Graham Yost, who is incredibly talented and also Canadian. Like all of our best people are secretly mm-hmm. Canadian. And Neil, Neil Young. Neil Young. Sure. Uh, uh, Pierre Trudeau. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> but they, you know, they're working, they're EPing like literally a dozen shows and writing episodes for a dozen shows. And I'm like, how could you possibly have the bandwidth for that? Like, I, all I could do was write Archer to the, uh, profound neglect of everything else i would write a lot of times at night like and then late into the night and sometimes all night and i wrote probably i'd say a good 90 percent of archer lying in bed cup of coffee on the nightstand lying in bed morning, first thing in the morning yeah first thing in the morning and then you know i might like i'm gonna move to the kitchen counter and write for a couple hours and then uh, you know, a lot of it, I guess, is the I never wrote outlines ever. I hated them because I, you know, some people will turn in an outline for Archer that's forty pages, and I'm like, you could have just written the script. This this doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah, just start start writing this this script. So I never did outlines. I rarely, after the first season, would like pitch episodes ideas. I would just start, you know writing the episode and often wouldn't know how it was going to end. Or if I did know how it was going to end, I wouldn't know how we were going to get there. But then like I would like uh, Casey Willis started like probably in season two. uh, And then he, as he moved up to EP, like he's reading the scripts and he would go. So, Hey, you got this character coming back in act three and you know, 
Archer kills it. And I'm like, yeah, it's the big climactic thing. And he's like, Archer killed that guy in act one. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Well, all right. Here's what we do. He's got a twin brother. Um, And Casey kept it on the rails a lot because I was just terrible about, you know, not paying attention to what's happening. And I can't now, like, there are very few scripts that I remember actually sitting down and writing them. Like, you watch them back? Uh, I also rarely watched them. But, you know, when people will ask me, like, what about this episode? And I'm like, because uh, I wrote a hundred of them. Wow. How many hours is that? Good Lord. It's 2,000 minutes. I did the math one time, and it's something like between 15 and 17 movies. Wow. So, you know, there's some that I really liked, but then there are some that I don't remember at all. But then there are certain lines that uh, I love because of the actor's read of that line. Like, the line itself wasn't necessarily great, but, you know... Jessica Walters smashing it or Amber Nash or whoever, Um, or John Benjamin, any of them. They would elevate the lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. When did you know that Archer was the biggest hit that you've had? Well, the first season, like we did, I think they bought six episodes and then they asked for another four more, but the ratings just kept going down. And then I think the Winter Olympics happened. Did you think you were doomed? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The ratings started and they just went south. They went like a 45 degree downward angle, yeah. like a comedy stock Did chart you- in a boardroom. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say FX is doing it wrong or we're we, doing it wrong? We um, we would watch the shows and there would be like FX would have sold ad time for uh, I remember distinctly on Archer was a promo for Dimitri Martin's comedy show on Comedy Central wow. at the same time that Archer aired, like, tune in next week, Thursday at 10 for right, Dimitri Martin. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And they were like, don't worry about it. It's cool. So like, we know what we're doing. And I was like, nobody, there's eight people watching the show. And one of our... Next uh, week, there'll be seven because they went yeah. over. And they were like, hey, this Dimitri Martin show looks good. <laughs> Uh, I trust these people at FX. <laughs> yeah. And we had one guy, um, and I don't know if this helped or not, but you know there aren't many Nielsen families. Like there's yeah. maybe 11,000. So each person's viewing habits represents like 30 million people. That's not right. But a shitload of people. And this guy's aunt was a Nielsen family, and we were like, your aunt has to watch Archer. And he got her to, you know, at least turn the TV on and leave the room. Wow. And I don't know if that helped. <laughs> well, we don't know if it made a difference. Corrupted but, Nielsen. Um, but, yeah, but I, I don't know. Like, seeing, uh, like, people would send me pictures of billboards in L.A. with Archer on them yeah. or a bus side or um, it was pretty crazy. People getting tattoos was uh and still is the the most bonkers this thing uh and a couple of people at comic-con said they named their kid archer wow which that's bananas have you met them no <laughs> but 
uh, his name was going to be. I was flip flopping between Deacon Archer and Sterling Archer, but my favorite college professor was Doctor Sterling Hennis at Carolina. Yeah, and I thought Sterling was such an amazing name. Yeah, what was he a professor of? Education. But he was our uh, fraternity faculty advisor. I was uh, big into the frat. What frat were you in? I was a SIGEP. Oh, MESPA. And I was uh, the president. Look at you. Yeah. Do you think uh, being a fraternity was valuable for your existence? I think about that a lot. If I, I have some very good lifelong friends because of it that, you know, I'm still best buddies with. But looking back, uh, I don't know if the phrase toxic masculinity was invented yet, but (laughs) there was definitely a lot of that. Burgeoning. Yeah. (laughs) The nascent (laughs) toxic masculinity movement. Um, But it was sort of, you know, what, just what you did, at least at Carolina in the 80s. You went and joined a fraternity because that's what your dad did. Did your dad go there? Yeah, my dad went there. He was a, a Kappa Sig across the street who hated us and would break our windows with golf balls. Um, yeah, it was weird. There was a lot of like throwing canned food and golf balls at each other's houses and just, you know, assholishness. And then one time my best buddy and I went and bought 2,000 crickets. And we snuck over to the Kappa Sig house and let the crickets out in the house. That's fantastic. What happened? They were just looking for crickets for the rest of their lives. Because crickets are like cockroaches, but they make noise. <laughs> <laughs> They're worse. Yeah. Noisy, noisy roaches. Victimless crime. Are you done now? Uh, I think I'm done uh, writing TV because uh, there's so much more that I want to do. And um, I really uh, I have a longtime partner who I'm crazy about. And the 10 years of Archer, she was a bit of a cartoon widow. So I'm looking forward to spending more time with her and with friends and just not working. I hate that your agent said that that's that. <laughs> I think he was kidding. I hope he was kidding. Um, but I would I would be okay if he wasn't kidding. And, w- you know, the uh, phantom pain that you get after yeah. a, an amputation, they say that if it's a, a scheduled amputation that you know about, your phantom pain is much less than if, if it's a traumatic amputation that you don't see coming. And I don't have Archer characters talking in my head now. And I think it's because FX let me sort of have a glide path to an exit. You know, I went from 13 episodes a season to 10 to 8 and then 4 and then like got to sort of gently walk away from it. The people that you've turned it over to. Are trustworthy. Better than me in every way. Wow. You've trained them. Yeah. They've well, been there I did. for a long time. They've uh they've 
always been doing it. Everybody there, like, it's a really talented shop at Floyd County. And Matt Thompson's great. Casey Willis is great. All the, like, everybody that worked on C-Lab and Frisky Dingo now works on Archer. Like, we've all been working on TV shows for some of them 20 years. Yeah. And um, I realized at some point, although like I'm a control freak, I knew that, but I realized at some point that I was not helping the process. Like I was slowing everything down, like coming in late in the game, like, oh, that sweater shouldn't be orange. It ought to be aquamarine. And it's like, well, now we have to change the sweater in every shot. Yeah, yeah, it has to be done. It has to be done. Um. There's no way around it. And so when I sort of uh, – I think the show gets made more quickly and more efficiently uh, when I'm not bugging people. But you can go bug them if you want to. If I wanted to, sure. Yeah. Sure. But um, Matt absolutely like dreads like, hey, I'm going to come by the office. Don't come by the office. There's no – you know what? I'll meet you. I'll take you to lunch. I'll take you somewhere nice. <laughs> but don't uh, – no, no, don't go. No, we don't need you here. So looking back at your career, give, uh, give some advice to somebody who's trying to be you. Oh, man, I did this. Uh, my niece's boyfriend wanted to make cartoons and took you get a lot of people contacting you. I do. That has been sort of the downside of Archer's people coming out of the woodwork <laughs> with uh, an amazing TV show idea. Yeah. It's like, can you get me in a room? And it's like, I can get you in a room. You're probably in a room now. <laughs> exactly. Ta-da. <laughs> um, but uh, he was like, you know, give me some advice. And I said, well, I went to live in France and I came home and was given a job I didn't deserve because of my sister. And then I fell ass backwards into this other thing. And then with no real forethought or plan, I fell into this other thing and Archer. But there's a core approach right underlying that underlying that i think is uh well writing itself like you have to write it's like jogging nobody can do it for you you just gotta if you want to be a writer or a show creator like you have to actually sit down and write but now, you know, it was so different in 1998 versus now. We had a guy, a very talented illustrator, who made his own, like, 20-minute fan fiction cartoon about One Direction. And he did all the animation and all the voices and all the music and put it on YouTube and because when you search on YouTube for, you know, One Direction, which a lot of people do, he got something like 48 million views and came into our office one morning and was like, hey, so, you know that thing I did for YouTube? And we're like, yeah, good stuff. Uh, I'm fielding calls from agents. I've got like a first look deal at whatever. And uh, I'm going to move to Hollywood and do what you do. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he did. Um, so I think that like creating your own content and putting it on YouTube or, you know, and whatever the other social media things are, 
Um, I think if it's good, somebody's going to find it. But I also think like it's such a crapshoot, like TV, music. Uh, my, my partner worked in the music business forever. And whenever we hear a song on the radio, I'm like, castle or trailer? Because, you know, you hear these bands from back in the 80s or 90s, and it's like, did they make a jillion dollars or was this a one-hit thing? And, you know, now they're pushing a broom somewhere. And she knows the backstory of a lot of these wow. bands. I'd like to hear those um, opinions. Yeah, it's it's pre- it's pretty neat. It's just should be like trailer. Let me tell you about this guy <laughs> or a castle. That sounds amazing. Um, but a lot of it is luck, and I don't. There's no advice I can give for how to be lucky. Yeah. Like for me, I had a a sister with a non discerning boss who gave me a job. Yeah, and because there is so much stuff on YouTube, like I think you would have to like creating it is only a part of it. Uh, you know, it's show business. There's got to be the business end and you've got to sell it. And that's like the big thing. And I know there are people at networks who their job is to just watch YouTube basically for yeah. the next Syphil and Ollie or whatever it is. But um, I don't know how you rise above the the crowd, you know, and separate yourself from the, the chaff. By selling it. Selling it, um, like, I think you have to have a, um, you got to catch somebody's eye somewhere. Was there a moment when you were selling Archer that you remember when you sold it in the room? Uh, no, because nobody said, hey, we want to buy this right now. We would leave and I would take the piece of artwork from the Ford Taurus with me. Yeah. And they were like, oh, can we hang on to that? And my agent would say, nope. Um, but then they would call him like when we're walking to his car, like we want it. And he told me a great story about um, selling a show, I think to Fox with one of his clients and they called him as they're standing at his car and he says, Hey, they bought it. And they both started dancing around in the parking lot, like high-fiving each other, jumping up in the air, doing goofy dances. And his phone rang again and it was the same exec. And she goes, you know, we can see you. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get rid of that snake? The snake got away. Got away clean. Nothing happened to that snake. Adam Reed, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Matt. Music from today's podcast is a song called Living in America by Dom from his album Sun Bronze Greek Gods. Be sure to visit adultzone.com slash podcast for links to some of the things Adam and I were just talking about. As always, we'd love to hear from you, adultzonepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Christina Loringer for editing this and Dave Bonowitz for his help on it. And thank you for listening. <laughs>